Hey guys, uh, back with another Rooney Rewind episode, and this week I'm joined by Mark Kastner uh, of the Liverpool Offside of SB Nation. Mark has been a Liverpool fan uh, since around the time I started supporting Manchester United, and as a fellow American following the Premier League, I felt like uh, this really turned into a great conversation on what it's like being a fan following the Premier League from such a distance, and... Uh, Fair warning, this episode isn't uh, totally about Wayne Rooney. Uh, we do talk a lot about our football fandoms, but I feel like it's a great conversation that I still wanted to share with everyone. So even though we don't necessarily follow the uh, Rooney Rewind episode uh, chronology of Wayne Rooney's career, uh, we do talk uh, quite a bit about Wayne Rooney's legacy, uh, not just as a Manchester United player, but as a Premier League player. And it's really interesting to get an opposition point of view on that. So uh, I hope you enjoy in the center. Rooney! Magical Manchester United! It defies description. How about sensational? How about superb? There's just no stopping him. Wayne's world is the place to be. I am here with another episode of the Rooney Rewind, and I'm joined by Liverpool Offsides, Mark Kastner. Mark, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, I'm enjoying the offseason so far. Yeah, well, you have uh, you had quite a lot to enjoy during the season as well, didn't you? I, I did. It's been a it's been a good yeah. year. So, uh, Mark, I guess. Uh, well, it's out there that you're a Liverpool fan now. I've ousted you to the Man United listeners, but uh, I, I guess uh, talk a little bit about your fandom and uh, what drew you to Liverpool and Premier League football. Because, uh, like me, you're you're from America, so this isn't am, something yes. that we're naturalized in. So it's uh, was largely our choice. But uh, I, yeah, I just wanted to get to know your side a little bit. Yeah. So I uh, I been following Liverpool for probably about I would say 15 16 years now um, and it all kind of started uh, when I was in middle school my cable package picked up um, Fox Soccer Channel and uh, I'm sure American listeners will be familiar in Fox Sports World um, <laughs> and that was in like 2003 2004 so kind of right as Gerard was coming through and Liverpool uh, were two years away from winning uh, their version of the treble. And, you know, they kind of had an exciting side, so they ended up on this weird, obscure channel all the time. And, yeah, I just kind of, for some reason, fell in love with Liverpool then and kind of never looked back. <laughs> yeah, a diet treble, I guess we could say. <laughs> yeah, it, a, a treble, not the treble. But... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, I, I kind of came in around the same time. My dad had introduced me to Manchester United through uh, video games and FIFA and uh, books and DVDs and stuff like that. But uh, I we got satellite TV for the 2005 season, I think, was the first one. So that was my first memory around that time as well. That was a good year. <laughs> yeah well, i think this was uh 2005 2006 was his first oh, season so it was after that you guys did win the fa cup so that was another good year for you guys i think and i think the community yeah. shield 
if I remember correctly. Oh, does that count as a trophy? <laughs> well, I mean, if you're Manchester City, it definitely does. Oh, <laughs> uh, right, yeah. The quadruple they won this yeah. year, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, as a Liverpool fan, um, you obviously have some views on Wayne Rooney. Um, he was a natural Everton fan, grew up and played for them for a couple of years, then goes to Manchester United. So Liverpool's two biggest rivals. So uh, I guess explain a little bit what your views on Wayne Rooney have been overall. Yeah, I've, I guess I've pretty much spent my entire life hating Wayne Rooney. Really, <laughs> um, you know, when you you asked me to do do the show, I uh, you know it was interesting perspective. I think you know, given that his entire career has been spent with the two, like you mentioned, the two clubs that um, are most despised by Liverpool fans, um, at least historically speaking. I think, yeah, I think right, you know, kind of in this moment of history, the the hatred for those two teams isn't necessarily as as strong as it has been previously but um yeah so i i mean i i've spent all all these years hating wayne rooney and and obviously most of wayne rooney's time with manchester united was spent um as a very successful player on parts of on a part of a very successful team multiple iterations so um it hasn't been until recently since he's come to MLS that I've actually gotten to enjoy Wayne Rooney for, you know, everything that, that he is, um, you know, being, being good and all that. Um, uh, there was a story from his book, uh, his first book about a trial that he had at Liverpool. And in the nineties, it was kind of interesting because Everton were actually a team that competed at times. I think they won the FA cup a couple times. And in the eighties, they won the league. Yeah, uh, yeah, two, year, two years that Liverpool didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he he had always grown up an Everton fan, but he took the trial at Liverpool for the youth academy just because you know that that's not an opportunity that you pass up. Um, and he took a lot of stick for it because when he showed up, he was wearing a full Everton kit uh, when he went into his Liverpool uh, trial, and uh, they gave him a call back. But I think he had decided by that point he wanted to stick it out at Everton. So, I, very obvious from an early age how Wayne Rooney felt about Liverpool, and he doesn't really hold back uh, in his talking about Liverpool. But he ha- maintained this friendship with Steven Gerrard throughout most of his career. Uh, both of them kind of broke through it around the same time. Gerrard had been in the Liverpool team for a couple of years by the time Rooney kind of broke through, but both of them kind of... I don't know, I guess reached the peak of their abilities around the same time in the mid to late yeah. 2000s. What, I guess, what do you think about the rivalry between Premier League clubs in the mid-2000s, the late 2000s, and how that kind of affected the England national team? Because you do see stories like Wayne Rooney and Steven Gerrard kind of, you know, being friends off the pitch and hanging out. But when they all go to England training camp, it seems like they don't want to spend time with each other and they would click up with all the main United players would hang out, all the Liverpool players, all the Chelsea players. It just seemed like it was a really contentious time in Premier League history where there were three or four teams like Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United that all were capable of winning the league and had these star players. But when it came to the national team, it's not like what you see now with Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford all, you know, being buddy buddy. Yeah, it's it's I think it's a, it was a really interesting case study because I, I don't think there's you, you probably look at the talent pool that England had at the time and they might 
never have as talented group group of players come through maybe ever again and certainly not before that time um mm-hmm. i mean even if you just look at last year the the england team that reached the semifinal of the world cup is nowhere near as talented as at least like kind of on paper or fifa ratings or however you want to sort of justify as yeah. that as that early um early and mid um 2000s team so and there's kind of that that classic question: Can Gerard and Lampard play in the same midfield? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Mourinho was destined to to try to make it happen with with his club team, but he you know he was never able to sign Gerard. So, you know, I I'm not one of those fans that there are a lot of Liverpool fans, and I'm sure there are a lot of Manchester United fans that you know kind of get kind of caught up in the tribalism of the game, and they, you know they're like, you know, they see. They may have seen Rooney and, and Gerard hanging out, or you know, there, there certainly wasn't Instagram or, or kind of the level of the paparazzi then that, as there is now. So, you know, perhaps, perhaps we weren't blessed with all that information like we are now. But you know, I, I don't get caught up in that stuff. Like they're human beings. These guys are mostly in their early, their early twenties, mid twenties, or early thirties. You know, they're they're humans, and they're and they're doing this. Uh, as a job primarily uh, you know they're blessed to have the ability to to do these things so you know i never really cared about rooney being friends with gerard um and i like i also didn't really follow the england national team so um it you know it wasn't necessarily something I, I thought about but something that i i did think about a lot um you know especially since you, you asked me to be on the show was whenever united were at their peak in the early and mid 2000s liverpool weren't very good <laughs> like there was th- there's literally never been a title challenge between united and liverpool i think i think only once and it was like the early 90s or something like that um yeah i think 2009 could maybe qualify but yeah it was yeah i guess yeah I guess both of them there was never really they were never really at the same amount of games i think liverpool either had two games in hand or united had two games in hand at some point of the season yeah and it, it just is kind of it's kind of weird that you know, I've been thinking about this. Wayne Rooney spent his, you know, he's arguably the best Premier League player ever. Um, mm-hmm. I I would say that. And he doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, infamous moments against Liverpool. United certainly certainly do. But him him as an individual, there was that goal in, there was that goal in 09, actually, the year before Rooney, or, um, Ronaldo left. When he was still wearing the number eight shirt, I think that was oh nine or was that oh eight, where he goes and celebrates in front of the cop with the fingers in his ears. Uh, that's actually uh, that's from his first season, I think two thousand four, two thousand five, oh, wow. uh, when they were wearing the black shirts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, okay. they, he squeezes it through Jersey Dudek from range and then goes right <laughs> in front of the cop. Yeah, yeah. I got my years mixed up there. I, I was you know, I went back and watched that video again today, and I can't believe I got got it mixed up because Pepe Reina wasn't in goal, and he would have been in goal in 09. So, Gordian yeah. slipped there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I guess that doesn't really answer your question, but <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine. This makes for a good conversation. Um, speaking of the tribalism that you kind of mentioned, that at that time was especially among the players it seemed a bit high but 
as fans, especially as fans from a distance, it's almost easier to romanticize it. And I think in describing the indescribable is something you did particularly well in one of your pieces right before the UEFA Champions League final. So if, if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to go find it. Um, it's, I think it's titled Liverpool, This Just Means More. So if it feels weird typing that into Google, Manchester United fans, I'm sorry, but it's worth the read, I promise. Um, <laughs> I, and it, you just do a really good job of tying in your personal life uh, with your fandom of Liverpool and it's something that I related to as well as a Manchester United fan from a distance because I have so many great memories and associations with this football club, but I've, I've only been to Old Trafford once, you know, I've, I don't live in Manchester. Mm -hmm. This isn't a team I can just walk down the street and go see on Saturdays. Yeah, I actually, I wrote that piece, um, following a conference. So two, two of my best friends are Manchester United fans. Um, they sound like good dudes. Yeah, I mean, they are, <laughs> d despite, you know, their unfortunate choices in soccer teams to follow. Um, <laughs> but, they, you know, I was talking to them in the lead up to the final, and obviously it was, you know, right after what had happened in the league happened, you know. Liverpool got the third most points ever in Premier League history and uh, somehow managed to not win the league because the team that did win the league got the second most points. Which, you know, sometimes that's how, I guess that's how it works out. And you couldn't be more Liverpool, right? But, you know, they they were in kind of typical tribal fashion, I guess, trying to not necessarily downplay Liverpool's success, but, you know, just kind of trying to contextualize it through their Manchester United color lenses. And they couldn't quite wrap their minds around why I wasn't disappointed. And um, then I, you know, kind of, we, we could probably get into the specifics more in the piece, maybe with some more questions that you have, but that's kind of how the origin story of that piece where I was having such a hard time explaining to people that I thought could relate to what I was saying, but couldn't, so. <laughs> yeah, and of course with, I mean, there's there's reason to not be totally disappointed even after losing the league on the last day because you're you're playing in the Champions League final is arguably a bigger competition that's harder to win than the Premier League, but uh, your European success is a huge part of Liverpool Football Club as well. Yeah, and that and and kind of the European nights at Anfield were really what I guess drew me to the club at a young age um, without even really, you know having you know i i hadn't gone there until i was adult i actually the first time i went there was three months ago um in mm. in, in march so i'd never I, you know i'd never been there but you have these historic nights at anfield like you know well before i'm alive the say ntn night and uh i think that was 77 you have all these nights throughout the 80s with you know when liverpool were at their at their peak you have uh, olympiakos with uh with gerard's volley you know you even have Istanbul. your, be your beauty <laughs> <laughs> yeah that uh i actually don't think that that's a very good goal call but it, it is what it is <laughs> so there's it's obviously kind of in the dna of this club um and i i kind of go back and forth i don't know i guess you can't really you can't really figure it out but i don't know how that really relates to the last lack of success in the, in the league. I know a lot of 
you know, a lot of banter accounts or whatever online will, um, like, like this whole, th- I don't know how much you pay attention to fan Twitter or whatnot, but, you know, Manchester City fans kind of um, jumped the shark a little bit during Liverpool's Champions League run, especially after they got eliminated. Uh, City, that is. And, and, you know, they're, they're saying things like, oh, it's, you know, it's not as important as the league or, or whatnot, but you, so you have, you kind of have this elephant in the room with Liverpool, you know, not winning the league since the entire time I've been alive. And then you have, you have this iteration of this team time and time again, no matter what, doing these things in Europe that, and especially at Anfield that no, no team in England and no team really in the world is doing. No, no team does it like Liverpool does. That's not to say, that's not to trivialize other teams, but it's, it's a specific thing that Liverpool has that, can't really be explained <laughs> yeah and uh i'm sure liverpool and Man united fans may hate me making this comparison but i i feel the same way about manchester united's like never say die attitude and their history particularly under sir alex ferguson you know being forged in fire from all these comeback wins really stressful moments yeah. and leaving it late and you know, finding a way to win and scrap out a win the the most probably will never be accomplished again but the treble uh, the the champions league final those two goals in the in stoppage time to win after you know snatching victory from the jaws of defeat it's i don't know it's it's just incredible that some you can see something like this happen so often at your team that it just becomes ingrained and you're you're like you know that it's a possible you know that this is the reality now that this is something that keeps happening that that's just who they are yeah, it's it's really like I, I go on in, in the piece that you know we're we're loosely talking around now to talk about trying to explain this thing to and and obviously I wrote that piece with um, with the four zero win over Barcelona in mind. Um, mm-hmm. I think I wrote it uh, to maybe a week after that had happened. Something you know, pretty close to that. So the emotions of that game were were certainly in the forefront of my mind. And I, I remember watching that game, the Barcelona game specifically, and I watched it at work because I, uh, I live on the West Coast in America, so you know Champions League games kick off at noon, so I don't you know yeah. usually have to watch in my office quietly on my computer. Um, and this thing, this thing has just happened, right? This, this thing. Like I don't even know what to call it that that win over Barcelona, and I I just like I looked around my office. I looked at some of my coworkers. They know I'm a soccer fan. I was obviously unable to contain some of my emotions throughout that game, so they were loosely following along, and I just remember feeling this moment of like loneliness is kind of kind of has too much of a negative connotation but i remember like looking them in the eyes and i felt this passion and i felt this joy inside of me that you know football fans can can understand but they just didn't get it (laughs) they just didn't under like there was there was nothing i could say in that moment they watched the same thing that i watched because we ended up putting it on the tv in the office and like you know they most of them were sports fans so they could kind of understand like 
the scenario and the comeback and like, wow, what a great win. But for whatever reason with Liverpool, it means more. And I talk about in that piece, more isn't, you know, it's it's not really in relation to anything else other than itself. And, and now, now we're getting super philosophical and we're not talking about football anymore and we're talking about life, we're talking about death. But it, yeah. it, like... Just in that in that moment, it, it just I'll never forget that, and I'll I never want to give that away. Yeah, and, and those are the feelings that uh, you live for as a sports fan. That you'll always remember who you were with and what you were doing while this happened. And uh, I, I kind of I guess I sympathize with the not necessarily lonely loneliness, but being with people who don't really get it uh, part I mean, of that's it kinda, because that's kind of. Um, american thing now well yeah it's yeah yeah. (laughs) like even like so i was watching the 2016 nba finals when i was on an internship in washington dc and uh, my family my mother's side of the family is from northeast ohio so we're all big Cavs fans and i was watching this with you know one person who cared about basketball and then a bunch of other people are just like oh that's pretty cool and i'm it, it's so hard to convey why it's so important to you that a team has just won a championship for a city for the first time in 50 years, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's like you're stuck with this incredible feeling that you can't share with anyone yet, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, and even like I watched, you know, I watched the final with a friend of mine that is as much of a Liverpool fan as I am, and we even struggled like we went out to celebrate after the final uh, with some adult beverages, <laughs> and <laughs> we even we even struggled to like relate to each other. It was just, mm-hmm. but like we could we could like look at each other and we could understand, but we couldn't describe what we were feeling. It's sports, man. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh... I'm trying to think of ways to tie this into Rooney now because this is this has become a great conversation about you know just the feeling <laughs> of sports in general and I guess sort of the isolation is uh, for American fans like us. <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I don't know. Rooney was really good at winning a lot of important. Yeah, I, I mean, I can think of <laughs> I can think of moments that Wayne Rooney produced that meant you know a lot to me. But I I don't know. I and. Uh, I guess we can skip to the last question here. Do Do you have a favorite player that sort of drew you in like that, or has it always just been the team Liverpool? It's you know it's mostly been the team. Uh, obviously, watching Gerard come through and become one of the greatest midfielders to ever play the game um, meant a lot to me and helped me understand the club as as a whole and you know what it meant to the city and what it meant to him. Um, and I will, you know, I will always appreciate. I was always love Steven Gerrard, uh, but I've always had. It's kind of the. I'm one of those people who are kind of a sucker. Is it kind of a sucker for the, you know, cult heroes or the unsung heroes or, kind of the romantic stories that, so often, find themselves in this in this game. You know, the Divacarides. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Terori's. I, um, I feel like you're leading into Jordan Henderson. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jordan Henderson's a different episode, to be honest oh, with God. you, <laughs> <laughs> because I it that's just uh, 
literal books will have to be written about him and the weight that he had to carry and i i don't think i could do it justice right now but you know the the people and the players who pop up in the moments when you least expect like Origi scoring that goal against Everton or Origi scoring the two goals against Barcelona or Origi scoring the goal in the final <laughs> uh, or you have you know you have Jimmy Trori who's not the starting left back and uh, is going to get subbed off at halftime but um, the injury happens to uh, forgetting the name but you, you know you ha- or uh, Jerry Dudek who mostly was an awful goalkeeper <laughs> but comes up and makes these two saves in a final or you you have these players like um and you know to a greater he was obviously a lot more talented but Xabi Alonso who was just the the glue that held so many incredible teams together but you know he never really got the accolades that he deserved um you know he's so important. Maybe not to... personal accolades, but I, I think his trophy cabinet's pretty nice. Sure. Yeah, I was just I was just about to go through like you know winning the World Cup and getting kicked in the chest. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, you know he. I think I don't think he's going to be losing sleep at night because people didn't recognize how good he was at the time. But um, yeah, those those are my heroes, the ones that kind of you know do what it takes. Um, and and I guess to an extent that was Steven Gerrard, even though. Um, he never he never did get, get to lift the Premier League trophy, which will always kind of um, hang over his head, I suppose. Yeah, um, I, that's interesting. Is I've I've always kind of seen Wayne Rooney as sort of a do it all player who does what needs to be done. Is not nec- he's definitely not an unsung hero. I think he was probably the most popular English Very player. Sung. Yeah. Maybe, maybe ever. <laughs> I mean, he he scored tons of goals. He was always in the press, but uh, just his style of play was—it's not what you'd expect from a center forward. I think it's—it's it's, he didn't do the glamorous job. He did the hard job, and uh, yeah. uh, even always, sorry, go ahead. Something that I always appreciated about Wayne Rooney was he seemed to be an extension of Sir Alex Ferguson on the pitch. You know, this type of you know. Ferguson was this type of manager that would win at all costs. Get any, you know, he would do anything to win, and often did anything to win. If that meant, you know, firing his assistant managers to bring in fresh voices into the locker room, he would do that. If it meant, you know, changing the style of play from, you know, the counterattacking team to a more, you know, he would do whatever it took to win. And mm-hmm. I think throughout, you know, the Sir Alex Ferguson's. I would say Act Three at United is because I think because of Wayne Rooney. I don't know, you know, I don't know which one's the chicken and I don't know which one's the egg, and I don't know if it matters. But Wayne Rooney was always there, you know. If it meant playing right wing, even though he's not fast enough and he's not technical enough, he, you know, would still score fifteen goals from right wing. Or if it meant you know, dropping underneath to play with Berbatov, he would do he would do that. You know, he he never necessarily excelled at doing anything other than kicking the ball really hard, but he did that really well. <laughs> yeah, or running his ass off to get get back yeah. and defend. Yeah, it. He was definitely a hundred percent effort player. Um, he, I guess, he didn't have the physique or uh, career stamina to keep that up. Uh, his legs went by the time he was probably 30, but yeah, uh, I 
the comparison with Sir Alex Ferguson on the pitch is interesting because uh, my first guest and somebody whose podcast kind of, you know, inspired me to do this podcast, uh, his footballing hero was Roy Keane. And he yeah. kind of saw for I mean for decades Roy Keane was the extension of Sir Alex Ferguson. He was the he's the Premier League hard man. He was the captain. He was the leader. And I guess I, that- I can kind of see that in Wayne Rooney in a different way of being the extension because he did what he had to do, like you said. And that was one of Sir Alex Ferguson's greatest qualities was he was so adaptive uh, yeah, and willing to change to win. There's probably three players in United history that. And maybe the three of them together do sort of make up Alex Ferguson. I would say Roy Keane, Wayne Rooney, and Paul Scholes. I, uh, Paul Scholes is... I don't, I don't know if he'd be up there as like one of my favorites, just because you know, Wayne Rooney was kind of coming through at the perfect time for me to find a footballing hero. But Paul Scholes, I think, has to be up there with one of my favorite Man United players of all time. Just the... Uh, I think Danny Boyle said it in the Class of 92 documentary is there's something romantic about the athlete that is so dominant and so great at what they do but when they get off the pitch they just don't care about everything else and they they just want to go home and then come back and focus on football again the next day yeah I really admire Paul Schools obviously with a little bit of distaste in my mouth whenever I say his name but um, from a footballing standpoint it's it's hard to not if you if you can't appreciate him and Wayne Rooney for that for that matter, um, despite the team that you root for. I think I think you need to find a different hobby. Do you think that maybe being an American Premier League fan uh, removes you a little bit so that you're able to, I guess, respect or appreciate another team or a, the the quality of a rival a little bit more than maybe you would if yeah. you're Liverpoolian from birth. I suppose. Um, I don't really follow very many American sports now, but you know, growing up, I was obviously really into the NFL and whatnot, and I could still appreciate what rivals were doing. I, I think that's kind of always been a part of um, my personality, at least when I follow sports. But I, I certainly think, in the context of the Premier League in Liverpool, living pretty much 4,000 miles away my entire life has removed me from sort of the some of the tribal elements that I don't really appreciate in the game. Yeah, I, I'm i kind of the same way with the NFL. Like, I'm a Cleveland fan, so we're just now good. So it was kind of <laughs> hard to hate other teams because we were never really competing with them. So I, I guess I've always kind of appreciated other NFL teams because I had to if I wanted to like the sport. Yeah. And I, you know, I grew up a Chargers fan, so I have similar uh, lack of success. <laughs> Although I just, I, the way I dealt with that is I just stopped watching the NFL altogether, which has been uh, easy for me. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, I know you mentioned that you didn't necessarily have a footballing hero per se, but I was wondering if you had any, I guess if you could personally relate to the idea of just sports idols in general, or if you had one sports hero. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of talked about, I don't really have heroes kind of in any aspect of my life, but especially sports. And I think, I think that's probably because of the experience that I had when I was pretty young. Um, I grew up, 
uh, I was pretty good at playing baseball and baseball was my favorite sport. I loved watching baseball. And uh, around that time was when uh, Alex Rodriguez was breaking through from the Mariners, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, <clears throat> you know, before he turned into what Alex Rodriguez became. Well, he, you know, he was, you know, he was this young, energetic player. He's, you know, fast. He played shortstop. He was exciting. You know, he could hit for power. He could hit for, you know, he was just a very exciting player uh, for those people who are not familiar. And he kind of was who I tried to make my game, you know, little young Mark trying to be Alex Rodriguez. And um, he came uh, uh, one year, the Mariners came to play the Los Angeles Dodgers when I still lived in California. And uh, I'd been looking forward to it all year because back then, um, not every NL team and AL team would play. Like they had like two weeks throughout the year that would be for interleague play. And that was it. Now, now I understand that Major League Baseball is a little bit different. But so, you know, I was looking forward to this all year, um, you know, getting to see Alex Rodriguez play, right? So um, we get my dad, my dad takes me and my brother to the game super early. I get, I get a ball because I'm going to go to batting practice. I'm going to try to get Alex Rodriguez to sign, to sign my, uh, to sign my baseball and, you know, get to meet my hero or whatever. So I get there, I get there early. I get down to the dugout. Um, you know, I try to stand, stand in line and there's like probably, I don't know, 15, 16 people between where I'm standing and the beginning of the dugout where, Alex Rodriguez is doing his autographs. So he's walking down the line doing autographs. And right as he gets to me, he says, all right, I got to stop. I got to go take batting practice now. So as he was, (laughs) as he was about to grab my Sharpie and my baseball to sign, sign my baseball, uh, he crushed my dreams. That was probably seven or eight years old right in front of me. And then, you know, shortly after that, he uh, went to the Rangers and, and the Yankees and kind of so I, maybe there's some emotional scarring I'm afraid to get hurt again which is why I don't <laughs> I don't relate I don't relate to 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 sports players but um that was probably the last the last true so, sports idol that I had <laughs> so so you got to witness the exact moment that Alex Rodriguez turned and wasn't the likable athlete anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think that it was all because of me, because he saw the yeah, right. eyes, and he saw me. He saw me yeah. run back up to my seat and cry in my my ice cream helmet. I like to think that we're forever linked. And if I ever get to meet him one day, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him if he remembers that moment, and I expect him to say yes. <laughs> you son of a bitch! Do you remember what you did to me? <laughs> try yeah, try to that's... get some. Uh, couple hundred bucks for counseling out of him <laughs> that's uh that's semi-relatable uh i had so the first time i ever got to see manchester united play was on a tour and they were in houston and so we were my dad and i were going to go together and this was the summer of 2017 so uh i'd gotten home i brought my wayne rooney jersey ready to go and uh the news breaks about three or four days early or than the game that uh, Wayne Rooney has left for Everton. <laughs> so uh, oh, I, I was really, I, I was, in my mind, I was like, he's not a first teamer anymore, but that means he'll play in the preseason. So I'll get to see him for at least a little bit. But uh, no, that was the free transfer went through. And uh, 
But I guess we got Lukaku and he did score in that game, so that was kind of cool. But, uh, you know, I, I doubt that Lukaku may not even be at the club much longer, let alone, you know, be my personal <laughs> footballing hero. So yeah. if, if, if Lukaku was your personal footballing hero, I, I would probably be having a different conversation with you. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be having a podcast about it, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I think Wayne Rooney, there's at least a little bit of content to dive into. I think Romelu Lukaku, definitely not yet. Uh, hopefully there will be some, but uh, it's not looking like it at the moment. Yeah, and it probably won't be for Manchester United. But No, he'll he'll go to Inter Milan and put up Ronaldo numbers. He's going to be a legend there. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the final question. Um, what do you think Wayne Rooney's Manchester United legacy will be? Because obviously he's not retired yet, he's still playing, so we're kind of talking in the past tense about a player for his career that's still ongoing, but he's definitely not going back to Manchester United, and there's been, uh, I guess, controversy for different reasons about Wayne Rooney's legacy at Manchester United, and I've always thought of him as one of the greatest players to ever play for Manchester United, Um, and I've, I've spoken with people who have differing opinions who think that he will have a legacy at some point to look back on uh, that maybe isn't as glamorous as Cantona or Scholes, but huh. uh, I I personally think that he should be heralded as one of the greatest Manchester United players of all time. Yeah, you know, to be honest, I didn't even know that people thought that about him. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's what I get for not being a Manchester United fan is I don't have to put up with takes like that. But... Um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm obviously being flippant, but I'm sure there are, I'm sure there's a well-reasoned argument for why those people think that, think what they do. So, you know, I don't want to be too much of an asshole about it, but, um, I tend to agree with you. I, I think if there's a, if there's a Manchester United Mount Rushmore, so to speak, um, I certainly would be hard pressed, hard pressed to name anybody that should be on that mountain other than Wayne Rooney, you know, I think Cantona and, and schools and, um, maybe Roy Keane or some of the other ones, but, um, I don't think there's Wayne Rooney would be the first name that would come up and come up for me to put on there. So I would think his legacy would be very strong. So, um, maybe that's a little bit of bias because he was so good during the time that I, like most of the time that I've been following football, um, maybe there's that maybe there's some recency biased on my part i am i am pretty young um you know, same tell, <laughs> people, you know people tell me john barnes was the best player to ever play for liverpool and uh i asked them if they've actually watched football in the 90s because it was awful <laughs> so <laughs> i i don't know <laughs> but yeah so i think i think wayne rooney should uh should have a very very strong legacy um you know, they build a statue for just about anybody these days, but he should definitely get a statue outside of Old Trafford, I would say. But that would require the Glazers to put some money into Old Trafford. But <laughs> Yeah, well, they may be... I mean, the way that they're running the club now, they may be uh, more... I, they may be quicker to put money in for a statue than for an actual player who can help us right now. So. <laughs> They've turned us into Nostalgia Chester United at Amazon.com to market the past glories of a now-dead football club. I've been there. It's not a fun place to be. (laughs) 
We'll get our Jurgen Klopp one day. Maybe. I just wish it was the real Jurgen Klopp uh, three or four years ago when we should have yeah. had him. It could have it been, but he does yeah. say in his book that he would never go to the Manchester clubs, but um, that's probably just because he's Liverpool manager now that he has to say things like that. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I guess that's about it. So, uh, be sure to check out uh, Mark's work on the Liverpool offside if you're into that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, Mark, you also work for the Sounders page, don't you? I do, yeah. I'm a deputy editor at Sounder at Heart. Um, and, you know, for all the for all the rap that MLS gets, uh, and maybe this is big... Maybe this is a reason why, but you know Wayne Rooney is still a pretty good soccer player for DC United. So if you're inclined to to not watch Manchester United and and watch a semi decent team in their league, uh, you could check out Wayne Rooney play for DC United. There's some there's already some fun moments he's had. Like you you mentioned um, you mentioned his work right. There was a game last summer where uh, DC United was down 2-1, I believe, against a very, very bad Orlando City team. And Wayne Rooney uh, takes a corner kick, it gets cleared out, he chases down uh, from the from the corner spot, he chases down uh, uh, the Orlando City player, I think it was Will Johnson, tackles him at midfield and turns around and hits, hits a, you know, a long ball into the box and, and the Lucho Costa, another DC United player, scores in like the 96th minute. It was kind of classic Wayne Rooney, so he still got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what I tweeted when I, I shared that video, is he still got it. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard it here from the Liverpool fan. Wayne Rooney is on football's Mount Rushmore. Or, sorry, Manchester United's Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and he's still got it. Thanks, Mark. He's the, yeah, of course. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, thanks again to Mark for a great conversation. Uh, be sure to check out his work at the Liverpool Offside if you are indeed a Liverpool fan or interested in Liverpool fan blogs. And if you're interested in the Seattle Sounders, be sure to follow his page, uh, Sounder at Heart, that he works at for SB Nation, and be sure to follow his podcast, the Sounder at Heart podcast. You can find the Sounder at Heart stream wherever you get your podcasts, so in the iTunes app or on Spotify. I also want to thank the Busby Babe Editor-in-Chief, Brent Maximin, and Francisco Valladares uh, for doing the artwork, and you, the listener, for tuning in. Uh, this is going to be the last Rooney Rewind episode for a couple weeks. Uh, I'll be going on holiday soon, so I won't have time to record for a little while, but I'll be back in July. Um, and we will get back on track with the Rooney Chronology episodes, so we'll kick off with the 2010 season or 2009-2010 season, when Rooney really hits his goal-scoring form as a number nine. So, uh, see you then, and thanks for tuning in.